study Revelation 7 is where we're at. If you would, turn your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 7. Five o'clock service tonight, we will be in Revelation 9. So read ahead. If you're able to come, we're a couple chapters ahead. But this morning, Revelation 7. Revelation chapter 7. All right, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Lord, we thank you so much, again, just for this beautiful morning you've given us to gather. And, and we recognize, Lord, it's you that's gathered us. That it's not an accident or a coincidence that we're here. As we settle our hearts now before you, we, we trust that the songs that we've, um, that we've sung and the, the thoughts and meditations of our hearts have been pleasing to you. We trust, Lord, that you're going to speak to us and meet us right where we're at, because, Lord, you said your sheep hear your voice, and they follow you. And so, Lord, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We need to hear from you. So many, Lord, voices out there competing for our attention, for our affection, and we need to hear your voice. And so meet us, Lord. You know what we need to hear. We open our hearts to the work of your Spirit this morning. Transform us, change us as only you can. For your glory we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so Revelation. Remember where we began our study in the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, remember the Apostle John was on the island of Patmos. That's right. Who showed up there? Jesus showed up, right? Jesus in all of his glory all of his splendor, all of his majesty, and showed himself to John and gave John instructions. You guys remember where we find our divine outline for the book, chapter 1, verse 19, right? We have our divine outline that helps us really to keep our bearings as we study this book, to help us to understand this book. I believe God intended for us to understand the book of Revelation Because revealing means unveiling, uncovering, making known. God wants us to know Jesus in a deeper way, a a more special way. And so as we study through this book, we've been given this divine outline. Jesus said to John to write down the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which must take place after this. And so chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation, those were the things which are, Jesus gave seven report cards. You guys remember this? So important, right? The things that please Jesus concerning the church, the things that displease him. He gave seven report cards that are applicable to us also as a church and individually in our walk with the Lord as well. Chapter two, chapter three, um, we see those report cards given. And then in chapter four, remember we see uh, God on the throne in heaven. Isn't that a great reminder today that God is on the throne (laughs) That means he's in control. That means we can take a big, deep L.A. fitness breath. It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. The Lord is in control. He's seated on the throne. We saw the church in heaven around the throne worshiping the Lord as well. And then in chapter 5, we saw this amazing transaction. You guys remember that transaction that happened? The son, Jesus, went to the father and took the scroll with how many seals? Seven seals, right? He was the only one. He is the only one. 
worthy, qualified to take the scroll to open the seals. And then we moved into chapter, chapter 6, right? And we saw the opening of that scroll. How many seals did we see last week open? Six seals opened last week, right? Listen, in chapter 8, the first verse in chapter 8 tells us when the seventh seal will be opened. So right now, chapter 7 is kind of an intermission. It's a pause, if you will. And so we're going to be given some further information on what's going on during this time period in chapter 6 through 19. What's that period known as? The tribulation tribulation period. How many years? Seven years of tribulation. So we're going to see some things that are happening during the tribulation And it's going to take tribulation. Um, God's going to use that tribulation period to deal with the nation of Israel. We talked about this last week. To remove wickedness and wicked ones. But also during this time period, there's going to be a huge awakening, a huge revival. There will be many people that get saved during this time period. And I love that because in wrath, God remembers mercy. It's so important because things are going to get worse before they get better. You guys, are you guys with me on that? The birth pangs Jesus spoke about concerning the end times will happen with more intensity and more frequency before his kingdom comes in chapter 19. And so, but during this time period, there will be a lot of people that get saved, which is so beautiful. Because the point of this, the point of this book is not God destroying people, but rescuing people. Are you with me on that? Remember what, you guys remember when Jesus was cruising from, from northern Israel down to Jerusalem? He went through Samaria. He went through some Samaritan villages. He sent his disciples out. And remember what the, village, the villagers said? They said, we don't want Jesus here. Get out. And James and John came back. Remember what James and John said? Anybody remember what James and John said? Thank you. Should we call down fire and burn them? You know, turn and burn ministry, right? They rejected you. Tell, should we call, like Elijah did, call down fire. Remember what Jesus said, though? Don't, don't miss this. Remember what Jesus said? You do not know what spirit you're of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to what? But to save them. It's important. Jesus is the Savior, and he wants to save men and women around us today. Well, let's check out chapter 7, verse 1. The first three words, after these things, you read that and say, after what things, right? The the unleashing of these seals, the opening of these seals, God's wrath now beginning to be poured out on planet earth. After these things, John sees something. John says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, and what were they doing? Holding the four winds of the earth, why? That the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. So John sees immediately four angels, and notice that they're at the compass points, north, south, east, and west, and they have been, they've been given the permission to hold back the winds from blowing. I don't know about you, but you ever been somewhere where there's no wind at all, and it's hot? That's kind of, think about on planet earth, no winds at all, It's got to be getting like stuffy, hot, no winds blowing. In any event, they're holding back the wind. And just a simple observation. Listen, angels are at work behind the scenes. We don't see what's going on so often. God's doing things, working through angels. 
And so here they are restraining the wind, holding back uh, physical judgment that's going to happen on planet Earth as well. And then it says in the next verse, verse 2, then I saw another angel, John writes, ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, notice this, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So what does John see next? He sees another angel, and this angel is ascending. He's rising from the east, from where the sun rises. Here comes this angel, and all of a sudden he, he yells, with a super loud voice, and he tells these other four angels, stop, (laughs) stop right now, halt, until we have done what? Until we have sealed, put this mark, this, this stamp of authenticity, this stamp of ownership on these special servants of God. And so notice where they're gonna be stamped or where they're gonna receive this mark, it's on their foreheads. So we learned something else here. Angels um, take marching orders from God, we know that, but also they work together here. There's some kind of hierarchy where they're working together. This one angel gives commands to the four angels, and so they're to hold off judgment until a group of God's servants are sealed. What is a seal? That's what we need to ask ourselves as we look at this. What is this seal speaking of? Listen, in ancient times, when like a king or um, a royal figure would send a letter to someone, they would write down, they would, they would dictate it probably, someone would write it down, and then it would be rolled up, and it would be sealed with, you guys know what it would be sealed with? Hot wax, thank you, you guys know. Hot wax, and then that king or that royal person would take their ring, a signet ring, had like their little mark on it, and they would put it into that, into that hot wax, or once it cooled down some so they wouldn't burn their hand, And boom, it would make their mark. It was a mark of ownership, a mark of authenticity. So when that letter was delivered, it absolutely, positively had to get there overnight. No, no, I'm just kidding. That's a a joke, by the way. But it did have to make it there or it was life or death. If someone opened that up, cracked it open, that that would mean your head, dude. You're done. You'd get wiped out because you opened up something that doesn't belong to you. We, it tells us in the New Testament that we're sealed, aren't we, as believers? Is anybody happy about that? Where does it tell us that? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me read it. If you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Check this out. It says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Anybody like guarantees? I do. We've been sealed and been given the Holy Spirit. You, are, you and me, brother or sister, we've been given the Holy Spirit as this guarantee in our hearts. Notice also in the book of Ephesians, if you're taking notes, Ephesians also chapter 1. I'm going to read it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. In him you also trusted, speaking about Jesus. Have you trusted in Jesus this morning? In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's a good time for an amen right there. I don't know. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for sealing us with your Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Um, it's also mentioned uh, in chapter 4, verse 30. We're told, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so we've received this seal. And then during the tribulation, there's this group of people that will be sealed um, by these angels with a mark on their foreheads. And by the way, this is not the first time we've seen something like this in the Bible. Anybody remember where it's happened before? Ezekiel chapter 9, again, if you're taking notes, when God was bringing judgment upon Jerusalem, upon, the, upon Israel, the southern kingdom, you guys remember that God had some angels that were coming to, 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 to bring judgment, but there was another angel there that was to go and to mark the foreheads of the righteous, those that were trusting in God. And it says about those people, it says they sighed and cried over the condition of the city. In other words, as they walked with the Lord, as they looked around, what the, the sexual immorality, the idolatry, all the things that was going on in the city, they were broken over it. And God said, I want you to seal them that they would be protected during that time period. So this is not the first time we see something like this. So God is sealing um, these special people. Well, who are they? Who are these special people getting sealed? Let's read it. Let's find out. Verse 4 tells us, or verse 4 through 8. Let's read it. It says, John says, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 140,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. And so John hears the number. And what, how many were sealed? What does it say? 144,000. And God makes this super clear who these people are. Because a lot of people have claimed to be the 144,000. Okay? And it tells us who they are exactly. It's not the church. It's not the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not some other funky bunch of folks. It says, it tells us, listen, God says what he means and he means what he says, you guys. There are 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel that were sealed. Whoa, time out. Whoa, time out, pastor. We don't know those tri who those tribes are anymore. I would say, you know what, you're absolutely right. Because in 70 A.D., you guys remember what happened? Titus Vespasian and the Roman army wiped out the temple. All the records were removed, wiped out. So if you're Jewish today, you do not know what tribe you're from. 
except if you're from the tribe of Levi, because then you have a name like Levis or Levine or Kohen for the Kohathites. So if you ever meet somebody with that last name, you can tell them, hey, you're a Levite, man. You got, you got a special calling on your life. Listen, it's not a problem for God. He knows exactly where the tribes are. He knows exactly what, what, what tribe you're from if you're Jewish. But here's the bottom line, is that these will be Jews that get saved during the tribulation period. In fact, if you're taking notes, there's a number of lists um, of the tribes in the Bible. The first one is in Genesis 35. The last one, um, the last chronological one is in Ezekiel 48, if you're taking notes. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. I noticed a little problem here in verses 5 through 8. The tribe of Dan is missing and Ephraim. <gasps> what happened to them? Well, it's interesting. If you go back and look at their history, they were, they, they were the cause of idolatry in the nation of Israel. They're the ones that introduced idolatry into the nation. It's possible that during the tribulation, they will experience um, some serious uh, refining that will happen in their lives because if you look at, I know if I'm boring you, it's okay. In, 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 uh, in Ezekiel 48, that last chronological list of tribes, Dan is the first one named. So you know what happens? Somewhere during the tribulation period, they get right with God. And there's members from the tribe of Dan and Ephraim also that get right with God, that go into the millennial kingdom serving the Lord, which is so, God's grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, you guys. And so, um, if you would with me, flip forward real quick to chapter 14, because we're given more insight on the 144,000, which really helps us out. It says in chapter 14, verse 1, John looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, there it is, having his father's name written on their forehead. So we know exactly what that mark is. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Isn't that interesting? So John sees the 144,000. They are in heaven. They're worshiping, and they're singing a song only they can learn. And please note, they're also redeemed from the earth. How do you get redeemed? By, the, by Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, right? We're not redeemed with silver or gold by our own efforts, by our own good works. We are redeemed because we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ in him alone. Redeemed means to be purchased, bought back in order to be set free. Have you been set free to serve Jesus? Bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, everyone gets saved the same way by repenting and placing their trust in Jesus Christ. So this group has been redeemed. They are Jews that get saved during the tribulation period. But wait, there's more. Look what else it says. Those, these are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. So they don't get married, these dudes. 
These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That's always a good thing, to follow Jesus wherever He leads. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. First fruits means there's going to be more to follow. And then it says, in, in their mouth was found no deceit, so they told the truth, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Isn't that beautiful? They stand right before God. And, and listen, the Bible tells us in Jude, the same thing's going to happen to you and me, that Jesus will present us faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. And so we see this group of 144,000. They're protected during, uh, during their ministry, and then ultimately they will end up in heaven singing a beautiful song that only they know. And at this most dark, difficult time in history, God is reaching out. He's touched them. He, he's rescued them, and now he's using their lives to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like 144,000 little Jewish Billy Grahams running around. God is so wise. He, he's so smart. Isn't he? God is so wise. He's got them sprinkled, sharing the gospel, ministering, by the way, a fulfillment of Matthew 24, that the gospel will be preached to all nations. So look what happens next. Verse 9. After these things, after what things? The things we just read. I looked, John looked, and behold, check it out. That's what behold means. Check it out. A great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Isn't this beautiful? So what does John see next? He sees all these different people groups. Where are they? They're in heaven, thank you. They're around the throne worshiping God. They're worshiping the Lord. Every type of person is there. There's great multitude, innumerable. You can't count how many people. And I think it's great just to consider that there's all these different people groups that are going to be in heaven. Do you realize that not everybody in heaven is going to be just like you? It's not going to be like homogenized, like we're, all heaven's going to be just like me, talk like me. There's going to be different people groups, different cultures, different languages. That, you know what that tells me? God loves the world. He loves the world. He loves all these different people, this huge variety of people. You know what else that tells me? There's no place for racism in our lives. Okay? Racism is not just a skin issue. It's a sin issue. It's a sin against God, his creativity, his creation. It's a sin against someone that's created in the image and likeness of Almighty God. And if we have that in our hearts, we need to repent today that we might have God's heart towards others. He, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. He loves this world so much that he would give his son to rescue and redeem people from all different backgrounds, all different cultures. And so notice everyone's worshiping the Lord. So beautiful here. 
around the throne before the lamb. Who's the lamb, by the way? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the lamb. What are they wearing? White. What does white speak of? Pure and righteousness, right? Do we earn righteousness? Can I make myself right before God? Can you make yourself right before God? No way, Jose. No chance. It's a free gift. It's the free gift of righteousness. Again, when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're robed. We receive this robe of righteousness. My robe's not better than your robe. Your robe's not better than my robe. Clothed in white, it's a robe of righteousness that cannot be improved upon. Some people try to improve upon their righteousness, try to look better than other people. Hey, we're all in the same, same boat, gang. Level ground at the foot of the cross. We're all in need of his righteousness given to us, imputed to our account. What else? They're holding what? Palm, I mean, there's palm trees in heaven? Yes. So stoked. There's, I think there's going to be palm trees because there's palm branches and they're holding those and it's kind of like they're applauding. Remember when Jesus cruised in on the donkey, right, to Jerusalem? You guys remember that? Palm Sunday? It was called Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. Why? Because they had... Palm branches, right? It's kind of like when Altuve hits a home run, hits a jack. The crowd goes wild, right? Everybody goes wild over Jesus in heaven. They're saying with deep emotion and volume turned way up, salvation belongs to who? To our God who sits on the throne and to, what does it say? And to the Lamb. Listen, it's a, the Father and Son are inseparable. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. You can't have one without the other. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so we see they recognize where salvation comes from, rescue comes from. Being saved, being rescued belongs to the Father and the Son. This is a thank offering. They're thanking the Lord. We realize you rescued us. You delivered us. What have we been rescued from? We've been rescued from hell. We've been rescued from the penalty of sin. We've been rescued from the power of sin. We've been rescued from a dead life, a dead end life of emptiness and futility. We've been rescued to a relationship with the Lord. We've been rescued to to heaven. We are headed. That's where we're headed, you guys. That's home for us. We're just passing through. This place is not our home. We've been rescued to relationship, to fellowship, no longer doomed to a life of bondage to sin. We've been set free. Listen, we've been set free to serve Jesus, to serve him. And they recognize it had nothing to do with them. They're excited to be in heaven. They're worshiping the Lord. Do you enjoy worshiping? I do. I I love coming in here with you guys and singing songs to Jesus. And you know what it does? You know, worship is contagious. Did you know that? At least it is in the Bible. I hope it is in our lives too because what they communicate stirs up some radical worship. Look at the next verse. It says, all the angels stood around the throne. How many is that? Is that a lot of, all? Oh, that's a lot of angels, isn't it? You got multitudes of people, right? All the angels are around the throne and who else? And the elders, the church, representative of the church, And the four living creatures, you guys remember the four living creatures, those funky-looking angelic beings? They're there too. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. 
blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. What's your Bible say? Amen. Amen, which means so be it. They begin with amen. This is the truth. Verily, verily, so be it. This is the truth. And notice all this whole collective group in heaven. And they're saying amen to the worship of the 144,000. Amen. Salvation belongs to God. It's all about him. He's the one who's made this possible. He's made it possible for us to be here, to be in heaven. They fell on their faces. They ascribed, what does worship mean? Worth. It means to ascribe worth. They're ascribing worth to the Lord. They're worshiping God, saying what? Amen. I'm in agreement. There's only one way to be saved. Amen. Blessing. Blessing means to speak well of. Lord, we bless you. Glory, that means value. Lord, we value you. You are worth it. You're worthy. You're the MVP. You're worthy of our praise. Wisdom, all true wisdom is yours. Everything you've done is right on. It's wise. Can you, sing, can you say that today, by the way? Lord, everything you've done is right on. You're so wise. Can you say that this morning? Sometimes we don't, do we? It's like, Lord, do you know what you're doing? You know what I'm saying? Lord, I'm going to be the first one to disprove your promises. I don't know. I sing that song, all your promises are yes and amen, but I'm going to be the first one that it's not going to happen on. Listen, all heaven is saying what? Wisdom is yours. Everything you do is right on. It's wise. And you know what happens? The longer you walk with the Lord... You look back, the Lord has been wise in all of, his, all of his dealings in our lives. If you've entrusted your life to his care, the good shepherd's care, listen, everything will work out for good. He promises to. All things work together for good of those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. Amen? Amen. All wisdom is his, belongs to him. Thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. By the way, that's a fruit of the Spirit. That's a fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, you guys remember? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. You guys remember that, don't you? It also says we give thanks in everything and for everything. It's an evidence that I am filled with the Holy Spirit, that I'm thankful I don't know how this is going to work out, Lord, but I thank you that, that my life is in your hands. My times are in your hands. I don't know what tomorrow holds, Lord, but I thank you. You hold my tomorrow. I trust you. I thank you. I don't know how this is all going to pan out, this new job, or now I don't have a job. I thank you, Lord. I thank you because, again, you're in control. You didn't leave the throne. You're not biting your nails. You're not pacing back and forth. I've given you my life. I've trusted my life into your hands. Listen, you can rest today in the Lord. We'll talk more about that later. We can give him thanks. Honor. Lord, we honor you. You're the one worthy of being honored. All, you're the powerful. You're the mighty one. Lord, I want to experience your power and might. Lord, I need your strength. All of these things pertain to our God forever and ever. Does the reminder of what Jesus has done stir you up to worship? To thank him? Say, oh, Lord, you've done it all. I could, you did what I could never do. 
and you're, do, you're doing things in my life, Lord, I'm so grateful. I did it my own way for so long, and I jacked stuff up, and now I look back, Lord, and all the things you're doing, and you're working everything together. It's such a beautiful tapestry, Lord. I see the scraggles on the back, but you see the beautiful tapestry, the glorious thing that you're producing in your time. He makes all things beautiful in his time, you guys. Aren't you grateful and thankful for that? This is worship here. Everyone, everyone in heaven recognizes God's worth and says, thank you, we praise you, we bless you. And it all was stirred up by salvation belongs to our God. Does it, does it make you worship when people get saved? How about last Sunday? Two people got saved here. It was like, hallelujah. It was so awesome to see that. Two people get taken out of darkness into the kingdom of light to be born again. It's such an awesome miracle. God help us. Verse 13, look what happens. This is so cool. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? Hey, you know, who is this multitude in white, and how'd they get here? Look what John says. This is great. And, and I said to him, Sir, you know. You know where they come from. You know where they're, what they're all about. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the, so the elder identifies for us who this multitude is of every tribe, nation, tongue. They got saved during... The great tribulation during this time of it was brutal, it was awful, it was dark, this pressing. They had to get desperate enough to cry out to the Lord, and they did, and they got redeemed and set free. And I love what it says there. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? No? Does it sound like a contradiction to you? They, they, they washed, <laughs> they, they made their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. What? But the power of the blood of Jesus. Listen, one drop of Jesus' blood cleanses us from our deepest, darkest sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen, what's greater than your sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And maybe you've been maybe you've been maybe you're like amen to that, but I'm dealing with condemnation. Pastor, you have no idea what I did, what I've been involved with, the things that I've done to others. Can I remind you the Bible says when you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, God declared you justified. It means just as if I'd never sinned at all. He has forgiven your sins and has chosen, listen, he's chosen to remember them no more. That's what, the, that's what the book says. That's what the Father says. Because you have trusted in the Son, his precious blood that washes away all of our sins. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let that wash over you this morning if you're dealing with condemnation. I know some of us struggle with it. 
but to be reminded that his blood washes us clean, you guys. And so that reminder, this group, their robes have been made white with the blood of Jesus Christ, his finished work. Therefore, look what it says. This is so good. We get a snapshot of heaven. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And check this out, this is so cool. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's awesome, huh, you guys? Is that beautiful, you guys? How can that not stir your heart, touch your heart? This is what, this is what lies in store for those that are redeemed. Whether redeemed before the tribulation or during the tribulation, this is, listen, heaven will not be boring. <laughs> You're not going to need your iPhone, your iPad, any other gadgets. Heaven's going to be awesome. We're going to be, number one, it says, it says about them, but also us. We will be around the throne, and part of our time, part of the redeemed, part of the privilege of being redeemed is what? Serving the Lord day and night. Being involved, and in, he shares his, his stuff with us to serve him, to be involved in ministry with him. And notice, he who sits on the throne, God himself will hang out with us. We will have unhindered, nothing holding us back intimacy with our heavenly father. I think that's amazing. No hungering, no nor thirsting, no more pain, no more suffering, specifically for those during the tribulation. But again, when you go to heaven, there will be no more pain, no more suffering, friend. Just glory and a brand new body fitted for all eternity. Crickets, amen, anybody? All the mature saints said, hallelujah. (laughs) Why? Again, it's all because of Jesus. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne, he's right in the middle of it all. What's he going to do? He will shepherd them. He will care for them and lead them. Isn't this beautiful? Lead them to what? To living fountains of waters. What in the world is that going to be like? This refreshment, this continual refreshment and vitality and sustenance. He's going to lead us there so we can drink some water. And then God will wipe. Can you imagine the finger of God touching your face and wiping away every tear? No more grief, no more sorrow. It'll all be banished. This is glorious, you guys. And I think personally we get a sneak peek of coming attractions right now. Do, do we, can, can we experience the, the, the loving, shepherding care of Jesus right now? Can't we? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep, what? Hear my voice and they follow me, right? Jesus said, I'm the one who gives his life for the sheep. He's given his life as the good shepherd to make us part of his flock. Correct? 
Jesus said something cool in John 7, 37. He said, those that are thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. That sounds really familiar to me. Isn't that beautiful? Because we get thirsty, and where do we go? Little sheep, right? Right over to Jesus. Fill her up, Lord. And, what, and, and Jesus said, that this, is, this should be a reality in our lives. Out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. Let me ask you a question. Is that a description of your life today? Out of your heart, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of your life, there's, you become a human drinking fountain. You become a source of refreshment to others and soothing and sustenance cleansing is that a description of our lives if not guess what you have to do leap a tall building in a single bound (laughs) what do you you have to do come to Jesus Jesus come to me and drink right didn't David talk about the Lord shepherding care what happens to sheep without a shepherd they get lost thank you Oh, oh someone knows right where I'm going What happens to sheep when when they have no shepherd? They get lost. You know what else happens to them? They get preyed upon. Right? They're easy pickings for the wolf or the lion, for the enemy. You You know what else? They'll eat the worst food possible. They'll feed on junk. I'm not talking about like Cheetos and Red Bull. <laughs> they'll, like, they'll go to like a goat trail and they'll try to eat the, out of the dirt and just try to get, they won't go to a green, they won't just like gravitate toward a green pasture. Does, does that sound familiar? That's why the Bible likens us to sheep. Sheep are not the smartest critters. Our flesh gravitates to junk. Amen? <laughs> what happens if they get overweight? Right? They hit, a, they, hit a, they hit a divot. That's what happens to them. They, that's not like some dance I'm coming up with, like the sheep dance or something. That's what happens. It's called, it calls, it, it's called getting cast. And if they don't have a shepherd, what happens? They can't roll back over. They can't, get, they can't right themselves because they're stuck because they're overweight and they're just flailing there. And it's so sad, but that's what happens. Again, they're easy pickings. The other sheep, guess what the other sheep do? <laughs> I'm all about me, myself, and I. They don't come over and like team up. You know, come on, guys, let's, let's tip them. <laughs> get, let's interlock or whatever those things are. <laughs> They're myths. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. It speaks of a relationship, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. David speaking from the point of view of a sheep. I'm the sheep. The Lord's my shepherd. My life is in his hands. Listen, is the Lord your shepherd this morning? Are you trusting in him? Are you looking to him? Because David goes on to say what? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
what he's saying is that it's the Lord who satisfies me. The problem with us is that what? We try to find satisfaction everywhere under the sun. Oh, this is going to satisfy me. Having this new thing, running over here, doing this, this vacation, having this, having that. I'll truly be satisfied if I just get this title. If I just get this promotion, I'll be truly satisfied. If I just get this letters attached to my name, I'll be satisfied. And you know what? You won't find satisfaction. You'll be left wanting until you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Remember what, he, remember what David says next in that psalm? He what? He makes me to lie down where? In green pastures. I am in need of the Lord placing me where I will be nourished and fed. Isn't it great that the Lord leads us to those places? I am so grateful for Calvary Chapel, by the way. <laughs> I have been nourished and fed the word of God almost my entire Christian life. I, I'm so grateful for my pastor. But ultimately, it's the Lord. It's, it's the Lord spending time with him, sitting at the feet of Jesus, allowing him to nourish you, allowing him to feed you, to give you what you need, finding, finding your sustenance in him. And he will feed you. He will, he will satisfy you. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me. What's the next part? He leads me besides the rushing river, overflowing waterfall. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. Maybe, you, maybe you're here this morning and your, your soul is anything but restored. Listen, the Lord wants to restore your soul. Only he can do it. Because he knows what you need. You need to come to him. He's in the restoration business. He made you. He knows what you need. And just like David said, it's the Lord who, who makes me lay down. He's the one who leads me beside the still waters. He's the one who's going to give me peace. He's the one that's going to refresh me. It's the Lord. What else does he go on to say? You guys remember? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads me in the right way to go. He keeps me from error. He keeps me from jacking my life up. In paths of of righteousness, doing the right thing. I don't know about you, but before I got saved, I thought I knew what marriage was about. I thought I knew what life was about. You just ask me, I'll tell you, I got all the answers. But then you get saved, and it's like, man, rewired, man. Wow, I was so wrong. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I didn't wipe out as bad as I was, because I could have wiped out even worse. But what happens, you entrust your life to his care. And what does he do? He leads you in paths of righteousness. And who gets the glory? For his namesake. He gets the credit. It's not, well, I was really slick and I read this book and, you know, my 10-step program. And it's the Lord. He's the one who leads you in paths of righteousness, bud. He's the one who leads you the correct way to go. And you don't need to go to run to the Christian bookstore or buy the greatest, next greatest tape pack. Just open your, crack open your Bible and spend time with Jesus. 
and say, Lord, lead me. Show me, show me where I'm in need of your leadership. Show me where I'm in need of, Lord, walking in those paths. Maybe I'm not walking in. And what happens when you do? You open up the Bible, and it's like a mirror, isn't it? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the greatest of them all? Not you, buckaroo. <laughs> that, that's correct. Thank you. But not just showing us where we're erred. Right? Doesn't Paul tell Timothy about that? The word of God is for what? For doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. Spend time, not only in the word of God, but the God of the word. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, not death, the valley of the shadow of death. I, there may be some people here today, that's where you're at. You're going through difficulty. It's dark. You can't see. You can't make heads or tails of your situation. Maybe you're confused. Having a hard time reconciling God's love with your current situation. David said, yea, though I walk through. I didn't just stop there and camp out. I'm, walking, I'm passing through. Listen, this too shall pass. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You know what God's answer for fear from Genesis to Revelation is? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's always his answer for fear, to be reminded of that. How often do we need to be reminded of that? Pretty frequently, don't we? Because you know what sheep are? They get fearful really easy. Skittish. Just try to go and pet a couple of them. (laughs) Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's the rod for? It's for taking care of those predators, for protection. It's also used for correction. Does this correction comfort you? It's a reminder of his love for us. When we're corrected by the Lord, what's the, it reminds us he loves us, that I belong to him. I'm his child. It's okay. And although painful, it produces the fruit of righteousness that I can't produce in and of myself. And what about that staff thing? You guys know what the staff is? Like that giant candy cane, but it's not like sweet to the taste. Right? It gets, you, it gets those, those straying sheep, pulls them back in, right? Keeps, up, keeps the sheep from headbutting one another too. Did you know that? Keeps them from... Because sheep sometimes fight, don't they? Not at Calvary Chapel, West Houston, though. <laughs> sheep sometimes butt heads. The shepherd takes the... Staff separates them. Keep, keep being unsubmissive, disobedient, unruly. Then you get a little pat on the tushy. <laughs> your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then what does he say? You prepare a table for me where? In the presence of my enemies. You bless me, Lord, in front of everyone. You feed me. You care for me. Aren't you grateful for his care, for his providing, for his provision in your life, sustaining us? You anoint my head with 
oil, my cup, runs over. What's that all about? If you're a sheep, what's that all about? It's for when you get hurt, when you have a cut, the shepherd would pour some oil in there. It would be soothing and healing. Does the Lord bring healing to your life? Are you looking to the Lord for your healing? It's also, you know, when the, when the sheep do butt heads, they have to, he has to put oil on there to heal it up. Listen, some, some sheep, sometimes in the body we butt heads. We need that work of God's spirit to bring healing. It's also used to keep pests away. It's a repellent. Listen, God, the work of God's spirit in your life, it'll keep the pests away. For sure. Because the, the oil, it speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible. And, and, it, and, his, and his, the work of his spirit runs over in our lives as we look to him. What's the last part say? What's he say? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me once a month all the days of my life. Literally in the Hebrew, it's hunt down. Surely goodness and mercy. Do you believe that this morning? Surely goodness and mercy shall hunt me down, shall follow me all the days of my life. Listen, the Lord is good. He's nothing but good. And his mercy new each and every morning, every day that ends in Y. Every day that ends in Y, he's got mercy for us. Right? His mercies are new every day. And then how's it end? I will dwell where? In the house of the Lord forever. You see where it ends? We looked at it this morning. For the redeemed, it's heaven. That's where we'll dwell forever. Do you know that Jesus is preparing a place for you right now? Jesus said, you believe in God, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is preparing a place for you and me. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you so much. What a beautiful, glorious walk it is, Lord, walking with you. Thank you so much. Lord, thank you for this bunny trail of Psalm 23 and just these great reminders of who you are. We rejoice. So great a Savior, so great a Shepherd, so great a salvation. Thank you. We bless you. Thank you.